Journey Church, how we doing? Can we clap? It's good to be God's house, isn't it? <laughs> hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome to church. We're glad that you're with us today. And hey, today we're continuing our series, um, Make Change. And uh, can you say that? Everybody say, Make Change. And I really believe that God desires us to change as we follow Him. He changes the way that we think, the way that we behave in all aspects of our life. And I'm grateful for you. Grateful for the fact that we get to worship together on a weekend. Um, but uh, today, uh, I have the privilege of introducing um, someone, truth be told, I could talk about for a very, very long time, probably make them feel uncomfortable. Um, but my father is going to share with you today. Um, he is a founding pastor of True North Church, along with my mother. And um, hold on, I'm not done. <laughs> Hey, why don't you stand to your feet? I really believe in showing honor where honors do. I didn't get to introduce him the first service. I said, I'm going to introduce you. He says, no, that's not necessary. I said, no, I think it is. But um, today it is um, my mother and my father's 40th anniversary today as they celebrate. And, um, but he is definitely my hero. He is not only the father of eight children and 25 grandchildren, the spiritual father of hundreds and if not thousands of people and uh, it's a privilege one of the greatest honors of my life to be able to work with him and uh, he's going to encourage you this morning to welcome him as he does it come on you can grab a seat my wife said she'll have me for another 40 doesn't get any better than that honey i love you awesome wife i, I don't know what you buy someone when you have 40 uh I completely forgot about it. <laughs> but it's all good. We have this mutual thing here. It's no big deal. We just love each other every day like uh, it's our anniversary, right? That may not work for all of you. It works for me. I uh, just want to touch a little bit of Memorial Day. Uh, General Eisenhower said that no great victory was won without a high cost and was bought at a bar bargain price. And I think as a nation, we have to be thankful what, for what God has given us here. We see a lot of people doing a lot of complaining of how bad this place is, but I'll tell you what, people from every walk of life, from every nation in the world, wish they had the opportunity to have what we have. And it came at a heavy price. Great to see everyone out here. Memorial Weekend is kind of the kickoff of uh, summer holidays, summer vacation, summer travel, and uh, brings me to a lot of thoughts of traveling uh, with my family and, and uh, traveling with my uncle who was a missionary for years. I had a great opportunity to travel with him. And, and I'm thinking about the roads, because I love driving on the roads. I had a chance to drive many times on the Autobahn in Germany. And uh, he actually, my uncle gave me the steering wheel one time and, and an opal which is not it's kind of like a gm small gm car and he said listen this is unlimited speed limit so you can drive as fast as you want i took that opal as hard, fast as it would go it was shaking down the road i think it was like 110 miles an hour that was it then i got the flashlights from a car behind me which means you get out of the passing lane and i was uh tracked down by a, a 1968 Chevrolet Corvette just blew my doors off. It was great to see American muscle cars in Germany. But anyway, the, the, the great, it, it was nice driving on the Autobahn, but the only problem with the Autobahn, like every five miles, there's an exit because it's a small nation. 
Now, on the other hand, I had an opportunity with my family to go out to Seattle, and my brother lived in Montana. It was cheaper to fly into Seattle, and we rented a car and drove nine, nine hours east uh, through Washington State, through Idaho, and into Montana. But the cool thing about that, that road out there is there, there was no speed limit. It says just drive under control, which I don't know what that means. But the neat thing out in Montana is that you can drive 30, 40, 50 miles without, well, without one exit. So you don't have to worry about cars pulling out in front of you or different things. So America is amazing. The driving in, in our country is awesome. If you ever get a chance to do a road trip, do it. God has blessed us with so much here. Speaking about driving, I had the opportunity to drive in some crazy roads uh, with my uncle. And I know John and Audrey have been missionaries around the world. They'll attest that there's some pretty atrocious roads in the world. In Bolivia, there's this road they call the Estrada de Morta. Is that good, John? De Morta? Good. Okay, it's good. So for uh, you that don't understand Spanish, like I don't, it means the road of death. So there's this road. It's about 45 miles uh, long. It winds through the Andy Mountains, which is very high mountains. And each year, over 200 people fall to their death on that road, hence the name, the road of death. Thinking about that and, and, and talking about stewardship, I want to picture us this as we travel through life on stewardship that we're on a road. Let's call it the, the stewardship road. And as long as we stay on that road, God can do good things and great things through us and through our life. But when we get off into the ditches, we're in places that God doesn't want us to be. Now, the good thing about being on the stewardship road and maybe going off the ditch, it usually doesn't cost us our lives like the road of death does. We can, and that's the way I love serving God is that I make a lot of mistakes, but what do we do? We just get right back up on our feet. We get right back up on the road and we begin to travel the road that God has placed before us. So we're going to talk about stewardship and the road to stewardship this morning. The definition from Stuart, and I love this title, stewardship, because I really, I learned at a long, young age that once I was entrusted with Jesus Christ, I became a steward. Once you ask Jesus into your life. See, we equate stewardship with money and all sorts of things, which it is. But really, as soon as we're given the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become a steward of what he's entrusted us with. So our life is on that traveling on that road of stewardship. So a steward is one who acts as a supervisor or an administrator of finances or the properties of others. So a steward doesn't own anything on his own. Now, granted, you may look at it and say, well, you know, that's really uh, isn't very good for someone. But really, in reality, it's an awesome place to be because we're sons and daughters of God. The Bible says that we're grafted into his stock. We become adopted into the family of Christ. But in that sons and daughtership comes stewardship. So I'm excited as, as all whatever to be a steward of Jesus Christ to be able to steward the things that he's put in my place in my life. I think about the parable, uh, of the parable of the talents, and we went over that in Matthew 25 last week. 
For it is just like a man who is about to take a journey. And he called together his servants and entrusted to them. So entrusted is a sign of a steward. And he trusted them with his possessions. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, one. Each according to their own ability. And then he went on a journey. If you can remember the story we talked about, there was three stewards. And each one had a different ability. And I think the biggest problem that we can have in the church of Jesus Christ as, as a believer is that we compare ourselves to other people. Like if you want to compare yourself to Billy Graham, let's face it, we, we feel pretty small. But see, we weren't all entrusted with what Billy Graham was entrusted with. But yet there's things in your life that we weren't entrusted with. So it's what we do with the things that God has entrusted us to. So these two individuals, these, these two individuals did the great thing. In fact, it was followed up where it says, well done, my good and faithful, I'm going to put the word stewards there, because you were faithful in little things, I will reward you with greater. So getting back to accepting Jesus Christ at a young age, sometimes we think that we have to wait to the end of our years where we can steward the last remaining years of our life for God. But in reality, as soon as that seed is planted, we have that seed of stewardship in our life. Now, we can take that seed and close it up, or we can open it up and make it available to everyone. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are in your walk, you're called to be a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to steward everything that God has placed in your life. So there's different seasons of stewardship. And I'm not sure what season you're in, but there's seasons where, obviously, that people can give more than they can in other seasons. But that's good, too, because we're not all in that place at the same time. In Matthew, it tells us what a steward is not. In Matthew 6, 19, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves material treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But on the flip side... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that's really important because we can find out where our treasure is. If you don't know, just to take a look at your checkbook, or this generation doesn't even use check. What do you use? You use... Uh, you do use checks, um, debit cards, yeah. And you probably don't even go online. You just look at the balance. You don't even probably look where you spend it. But it's important to know where our heart is. And I was guaranteed if you look in that, you'll find out where your heart is and where things. The Bible says in Matthew 6, it says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. We live in a world of material, so we're always comparing ourselves with other people. But the Bible says here that we should seek after God and his righteousness. And as we steward what Christ has planted in our life, all these other things will be added unto you. Now, these things come in different ways to different people. In our house, they come in the form of children, grandchildren. And you may not be looking to get blessed in those ways, but, you know, we are regardless. And I love it because God is faithful and God just completely, you know, blesses us and, and we see each generation coming up and serving Jesus Christ. Now, 
On that stewardship road, there's a battle. There's a battle to keep you off the road. Our desire and our battle is to stay on the road because off the road, you run into ditches. And the enemy will use different ways to get us off the road into the ditch because he can effectively get us off the road of stewardship, of serving the kingdom. We can't be about our father's business, right? So if he can get us off the road, we're neutralized. So there's many different ways, and I I love the book. I just read the book, uh, Robert Morris, Beyond Blessed. Has anybody read that book? Good book. Um, Get it if you didn't get a chance to read it, and just really some cool things that how God had worked in his life. And and I want to pick up on some of the things that he shared and add a few of my things as well. But the devil will use many things to get us off the, the road of stewardship. And he'll use one, the poverty mindset. Now, back in the old days, many years ago, people thought that poverty was next to holiness. Now, go with me with this, because I'm not saying that serving Jesus Christ is all about possessions and different things. That's the other extreme. But we have to watch out that we don't think that poverty is next to holiness. Nowhere does it say it in Scripture. In fact, I heard a guy quote the Scripture. He said, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it sounded good, because he had all the right Scriptures, Matthew 5, 3. In actuality, it doesn't say blessed the poor. It said blessed the poor in the spirit. Big difference. Poor in spirit is not the same as poor. So watch how people will use scriptures to deceive you. That's why it's so important for you as being a steward of Jesus Christ, knowing what the word of God says, so you stay on that road. So watch out the poverty mentality. It's, it, it, it tells you that everything that comes, money and all different things that comes from the world is of the devil. We know that's not true. It's what you do, what God has blessed you with. And poverty is not next to holiness. For thousands of years, groups of monks and, and, and knights uh, vowed to poverty, but it really didn't make them any more closer to God than you and I. Avoid that mindset of poverty. Next is the bus stop mentality. Bus stop mindset. Anybody ever hear that? Wow, I'm dating myself here. uh, After I came to Christ, my dad uh, came into the Pentecostal movement. The Pentecostal movement was, uh, I I learned a lot of great things from there. The people loved Jesus and, and, uh, but the one thing they really struggled with was the fact that they believed in the rapture. And I believe in, how many people believe in the rapture? I believe that Jesus could come back at any time. In fact, uh, I believe that we should prepare to go up tomorrow, but we should also prepare to be here a thousand years. So the bus stop mentality was this, that Jesus is coming back, get your bag packed, and wait by the bus stop for his return. Sounds good, right? You're being faithful, you're waiting. But what happens is you, all life goes by you, and a lot of things happen. And unfortunately, a lot of those people never prepare for the next generation. So as we, believe, we, uh, we as believers in Jesus Christ have to be ready at any time for the return of Jesus Christ, but we have to be wise. We have to prepare for our children's children. In fact, the Word of God says that a wise man leaves an inheritance not only to his children, but to his children's children. So we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. The biggest and the most deceiving mindset that the enemy tries to use against the church of Jesus Christ is the prosperity 
and material mindset. Now I know we live in the Western world and we're Americans and it's our constitutional right to be prosperous and to have a lot of money. Or of course, that's what we think. Of course, that's what they tell us on the media. But in reality, we know that we as Americans, we, we, God has given us many great things to do, but it's not about prospering the world's way. In fact, it says that by the time you're 20 years old, this generation, that you are bombarded by over a million messages about material stuff. And what it says is, you need more. You deserve more. You're incomplete unless you have more. And you'd be happier if you had more. Now, this is the material mindset that the enemy puts into us because we believe that we should have more. We're Americans. We're Christians. Social media tells us this, that everybody in the world has a better life than you. They have a better home. They're better looking. They have a better boyfriend. They have a better car. And their lives are perfect. But we know in reality that isn't true. We know that God has given us all different aspects of life and put us all different places. So prosperity will not bring us happiness. I love looking up history. I'm a history guy, and for you history people, if you don't like history too bad, you're going to get it anyway. I want to be a good steward, and I want to be a good steward now, and because I believe that God has given us all an opportunity, no matter where we are in the season of life that we serve him, to steward what he has placed in our hands. And you know what that is better than anybody else. But I was reading some uh, quotes by some rich men, and they went like this. You may recognize the names, uh, I do, but John David Rockefeller, richest person in the history of our nation. I've made many millions, but this has not brought me an ounce of happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt from the 1800s, one of the richest men at the time. The care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor, America's first millionaire. I am the most miserable man on the planet Earth. Andrew Carnegie, second richest man in history. Millionaires seldom smile. And George Soros, who you'll recognize as someone from today, he's a multi-billionaire. I can't sleep at night thinking that I might lose something that I've made. So these are the richest men and people. This is what the world looks to as success. But we know that's not where our success is. Our success is in Jesus Christ. In fact, the rich young ruler in the parable, remember he came up to Christ, and he said, Lord, very rich, he said, what must I do to have eternal life? And I thought it was really hard, and the disciples thought it was really hard how he dealt with them because you're seeing this rich guy come up, and you're thinking, we could really use a rich guy. We could use this guy, so let's treat him really nice because he could bankroll this whole ministry. But what did Jesus do? He wasn't even interested in the man's wealth because he was more concerned about the heart of the individual. In fact, he saw that his heart was in control of the possessions he had. So Jesus said, listen, to make things right, sell everything you had and follow me. But what happened to that rich man? He had many possessions. He couldn't leave, so he turned away and left Christ. Possessions are not wrong, but when they control your heart, they control everything you do, then it's time to let them go. In fact, they say that in life that if you're um, 
struggling with being greedy, struggling with control of things, the best thing to do is give it away. And you can do that with riches. You can do that with possessions that you have. If you feel that they got a hold of you, sometimes the best release is to let it go. That's real faith, isn't it? That's real stewardship. Years ago, I had, uh, what is stewardship then? Jumping ahead of myself, you should see my notes. I've got st stuff written all over. I don't know where I'm going or where I'm coming, but we're just going for it. I had a grandfather, my grandfather Swain, who died when I was a young teenage boy. He died in his 50s, and uh, it was so great, his life, and he was Jewish background, and, and um, just, I was the oldest grandson, so I got a chance to spend some time with him. He, pa he passed away, I think I was 11 or 12 years old, but he was a very successful businessman. And here it was, he was stewarding everything he had and just the way he operated business. And I think I picked up some of his traits and different things, how he did business. Later on in his life, he, there was a, a, we were having a revival meeting in our town and, and uh, he was a pretty cool guy. He drove a Harley Davidson motorcycle, had to ride in gear. And man, he was like my idol, you know, my James Dean. And, and I can remember he came into the church service, which was really shocked, but my mom had been praying for her dad that he would come to Jesus. And, and uh, before the end of the service, my grandfather went up to the altar and knelt down and accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And it was shortly after that, three months later, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and died within six months. But he was such a good businessman that actually my mother received a large inheritance, my grandfather, and and they actually used that money to uh, bankroll their ministry and uh, for the work that God had done, was doing in their lives 50-some years after he died. So to me, that's stewardship, right? I mean, it's, it's doing something beyond you, doing it for the next generation. So really, for me, he, he'd be one of my, even though he didn't know what he was building his, his assets up for when he accepted Christ, it became part of the kingdom of God. So stewardship is eternally minded. Yes, it's minded. You mind what's happening in the life and the lives of people, but it's really focused on what can happen, what's better for eternity. Now, you look about it as your kids, as you raise kids, that um, there's good things that you can give your kids, but there's better things that you can give your kids that aren't as nice. There's maybe discipline that you can give them that they need because that's going to make them into the young man or young woman that they can be. But there's also things that we can give them spiritually that will take them beyond this life into the next life. And that's what true stewardship is. I want to read some scriptures of uh, stewardship in action. And um, it's in Acts 4. It's kind of an uncomfortable text if you don't have the stewardship thing right, but if you have the stewardship thing right, you can, you can deal with it because you'll see where it's going here. But in Acts 4.32, it says this, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed any, other, any of their possessions of their own, but they shared everything they had. So you look at it, this, we see the early action, the early functioning of the church, early stewardship in action where the people got together and in one heart, one mind, and it says no one claimed their possessions, but they shared everything they have. Now, you might look at it, and I've heard people say, well, this is socialism. 
And I know for you young generation, socialism, it's a big deal because uh, um, everybody's the same, right? Well, unfortunately, when man's involved with socialism, it doesn't work out well. It only works as long as your neighbor lets you take money out of his wallet, but eventually when he closes the wallet, that socialism ends. It's supposed to be funny, joke. <laughs> but in reality, this isn't anything like the socialism that they have today, because socialism today is when someone out there decides what you do with your money, and they decide where it goes. But in the body of Christ, under stewardship, God places you in the care of, he entrusts, whether it's finances, whether it's talent, whether it's education, and you decide. He's given you a mind to be able to see where you can use the ability or the gift that he's given you. That's the way God works. So this is the way it was happening in the early church, where everything they had was everybody's. Now, I know that that's hard for us to swallow, but in reality, nothing we have is ours. I was a youth pastor years ago, and I was talking to Brian, and, and, and uh, God was doing a great thing in our youth. People were coming to Jesus, and a friend of mine had just built this humongous pool. I mean, it was bigger than the normal pool. And he, say, he came up to me, he said, you know, God's blessed me so much, and he kept on saying, God bless me, and God bless me. I said, well, you know... Um, you know, everything I have is God, so I figured I'd put it to the test, you know. And I said, listen, we meet every Friday night. I want to bring the youth over here. He said, oh, it's God's pool. I built it for God. And uh, so I called him up, and I said, hey, right, we're coming over Friday night. He said, let me talk to my wife. He called me back up, and he said, hey, uh, wife says no. And I said, I guess it's not God's pool. I guess it's her pool. That's not stewardship. I'm not beating on them because you can imagine 100 kids coming in and just trashing your place. But if it's God's, you can clean it up, I think, Brian, can't you? <laughs> stewardship, God's way. Verse 33 says this. We can see the acts, action that's happening here. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. I don't know what it is, but apparently when people take care of people they love, in fact, the Bible says that they'll know us how we love one another. So if someone's in need, I would say that if you love them, you want to take care of them. But there's something that happens here when we begin to take care of one another. It says that there was power in the resurrection. There's power that people could see in the church. So one of the byproducts of that generosity, one of the byproducts of stewardship is God being able to move in great power. From time to time, those who own lands or houses, this is where it always got uncomfortable for me. Because I'm thinking, hey, if I start, you know, God's blessed me, I start getting things, you know, what if I'm asked to do this? So they sold their houses and they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to everyone who had need. So here it is, stewardship in action. People took their houses, their land, their possessions. It doesn't say that they sold everything that they had. It says that they sold different possessions that they had. So you can get it wrong here thinking that God wants you to sell everything. There are people that God asks to sell everything. But most of us that are stewards in life, God doesn't ask us to do everything. He asks us to do a specific thing. And that's the thing about stewardship. God may say, hey, listen, 
there's a person over there that needs $20. Now, if you're a good steward, you're going to have that $20. But if you're like me, I don't only carry credit cards. I don't carry cash. Too many kids that carry cash. But when I do carry cash and God tells me what to do with it, I can be a good steward with that. So it doesn't have to be always big things. It can be your time. You know how many young people we have in our church, Brian will tell you, that are looking for someone just to be a big brother, just to be someone to be a spiritual mother or father because they don't have one. That's stewardship. That's applying to the needs of the body of Christ. And then we begin to see power evident in the church. Verse 36 says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the, the apostles called Barnabas, and you'll recognize that name because it means son of an encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money in and laid it at the disciples' feet. Now, the scriptures, sometimes people know who it is that's giving. Sometimes you don't know who it is that's giving. But in this particular play, instance, we notice is Barnabas. He actually became a partner in the minister, ministry of the Apostle Paul. God used him in a mighty way because he's a good steward with what he had. We're all called to be stewards in the body of Christ. Joanne and I um, took this on at day one, you know, serving the Lord. And I can remember when we first got married, there was a, there was a need in a ministry where they needed a certain amount of money and it was a big amount of money, and we prayed about it, and we just said, hey, we don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to give a specific amount to this ministry, and, and uh, we really believed that that was a foundation that allowed us to be a steward in greater things. And I'm looking around this congregation. I know a lot of you people, and I know you've been stewarding what God has given you tremendously. I know there's that people out there that have actually sold possessions and sold I don't know if people have sold land, but I think there has been individuals that have done that as well. And they've sold it, not to, for themselves, but they sold it because as a steward, they saw a specific need. There's needs in the body of Christ. In fact, I don't even do things now to think about what I need because probably I need too much stuff, but in reality, it's what everybody else needs. And a steward is very sensitive as he sees the needs of others. Now, we're, we're building a building out in Mullica Hill, and this isn't to raise any money for that, believe me. But it's not about buildings, but in a way, it's about the next generation and the generations to come. Because I know it's a steward. I want to be a wise man, not only to my children, but to my children's children. And I know that some of the best investments we could make for the next generation is to build a strong body of believers called the church of Jesus Christ. So the best thing we can do as stewards is to make sure the church is healthy. How is the church healthy? It's healthy because you're involved in it. Yes, it's healthy because you give. Yes, it's healthy that you may even give possessions and land and different things. God may challenge you to do that as he's done with Joanne and I as well. And we're blessed because we have an opportunity to bless the next generation. A few years back, I was thinking about buying a vacation home. And, um, you know, I'm a dreamer from a family of dreamers. And then I started adding up the number of kids. And all my kids are married, so they have wives. And then you add up the grandkids. And, and I, you know, the only thing I could probably fit into would be the White House. 
And I don't think they're ready to give that up. So for me, it's much cheaper to invest in the kingdom of God to make sure that that generation, 52 weeks a year, our young people, our kids, our grandkids, have a place where they can come to every weekend. Where they, can, they in turn can learn about how to be stewards of what God has planted in their life. But most importantly, they'll be a steward of that salvation message, that commitment to Jesus Christ that they've been entrusted to. So I guess my question to you is, what are, you, what are you doing with God has entrusted you with? Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for so many times you show us in scriptures how to live a way pleasing to you. And Lord, we touched a little bit, talked a little bit about stewardship. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, that you would birth in us a seed of stewardship in every area of our life. Lord God, that we would understand that it's not about us, it's about others. It's not about this generation, it's about the next generation, Lord. It's about advancing the kingdom of God. So Lord, we thank you for this nation that you've given us, that you've blessed us with. Lord, we thank you for the prosperity that you've given in us. But Lord, more importantly, we thank you for a salvation that you have entrusted into our lives. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you and I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, and you will be saved. And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today, to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian, Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I wanna encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody. Whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I wanna encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy, Bible-based church whether it's True North Church or another church close to you, find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.